if we were to default and if we were to run out of exhaust all of our extraordinary measures and a deal doesn't happen and this debt ceiling doesn't get lifted, there's a lot of uncertainty as to how that impacts markets, right? I, I learned a long time ago, like it's a fool's errand to guess what Congress is going to do. But it sounds like negotiations are moving pretty well from what's being publicly reported. And I think everybody appreciates the severity to the financial system. Welcome to the Next Generation Podcast presented by Generations Bank. I'm Luke Hannon. And I'm Max Harrell. Welcome back to the Next Generation Podcast. I am Luke. And I'm Max. And uh, we've got our first guest, Nathan Anonic today, who's on the phone with us. And we're really excited to talk to him about a few different things. So, Nathan, you hear us loud and clear there, right? Yeah, I hear you guys loud and clear and uh, happy to be here. Honored to be the, the inaugural guest. I think the, the bright side is it can only get better from here. So. <laughs> well, uh, we, we believe that first is best here on the Next Generation <laughs> podcast. We want to uh, just kind of hear a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and, uh, you know, a little bit about what you do and what you have you have done. So tell us your life story in about two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, give, us, give us a chat sure. GBT of you there. Yeah, yeah just, just yeah. a brief summary. For sure. And I, I hate I have to do this, but I always, when you work for a public official, you always got to start off just everything I say is my own personal views here, not the views of my boss. Um, So Nathan Anonik, like you guys said, uh, so I work uh, for Senator Bozeman, senior senator from Arkansas. Um, My title is professional staff, so I work on his agriculture committee. Uh, He is the ranking member on the Senate Agriculture Committee, so that's the highest Republican. He has his own personal staff like every U.S. senator, but also a Senate committee staff. Um, So I work on the ag staff doing all the handling the CFTC derivatives, crypto portfolio, and then still kind of counsel him on everything financial services. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina, so the the second best state behind Arkansas, of course. Well said. Well (laughs) Uh, said. Are you a Tar Heel fan? Did you go to school there? I am a Tar Heel fan, so I went to undergrad at a smaller school, Elon University, okay. but went to law school at UNC. So there you go. Uh, I'm a, a big Tar Heel fan. Um, I actually went back this weekend. My sister just graduated from undergrad, so very cool. It's good to good to hit back Franklin Street one more time. Yeah. Um, so went to went to school down there, and then my first job up here in uh, 2017 was with a multi-client firm that focused on financial services. Um, and luckily for me, they'd really touched kind of the whole gambit, I guess, uh, banks, private equity, hedge fund, insurance, sort of hard to find a, a financial services area that they didn't touch. Uh, and my job was they did a lot of regulatory and legislative analysis for clients. So whenever a proposed bill would be introduced, I'd tell clients, you know, here's how it would change. Uh, current legal landscape, or if there's a proposed regulatory rulemaking or regulatory action, would sort of tell the clients, here's kind of your compliance obligations if this becomes finalized. Um, so did that for a couple of years in the private sector, uh, and then moved over to the FDIC, which I'm sure you guys are very familiar with. Yeah, we, we know these. Better. We, we know those guys. I've heard those yeah. letters back to back before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah a little bit. Um, and so I was in a, a unique group there. Uh, the whole federal government is a alphabet soup. So <laughs> with, you know, the, the division I was in, 
I was in the policy group, but the division is called Complex Institution Supervision and Resolution, so CISR. Uh, what they do is they have the mandate for bank holding companies with 100 billion or more total consolidated assets. They look at gotcha. their resolution plans, so sometimes called living wills, um, and then also just their resolvability. So essentially, what that means are those banks. The division was created after the 08 crisis and after Dodd-Frank. Um, and so those banks are required to submit to the FDIC and the Fed essentially a plan that says, hey, if one of their subsidiaries fails, here's how they would resolve themselves in an orderly fashion and the entire house would just collapse. Um, so got to got lucky when I joined because I got to work on a rulemaking, work on some guidance and stuff. And so that was fun. Was there for two years. And then March of 2021, moved over to the senator's office, um, first in the personal office, just handling financial services issues. He's on the Appropriations Committee, which funds the government and the Financial Services Subcommittee. So did all that work. And then about eight months ago, moved over to the committee side where I worked on the CFTC derivative script that stuff. So that was probably a mouthful of like government stuff that nobody cares about. But uh, well, that's, that's it a little sounds bit really important. <laughs> and we know it is. We it I have sounds so many a lot questions. more important than it is. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah. So we've prefaced this before. We are we are experts um, in pretty much nothing, but we are wildly <laughs> curious. Yes. We are wildly sure. curious, and so we represent the people. And I I just want to say. That when I looked up uh, CFTC and it's talking about, you mm-hmm. know, the regulation of trading, futures, option swaps, mm-hmm. my my brain doesn't go to agriculture. And so what's the tie? <laughs> there? Are, are, we, are we shorting, you know, corn, corn stocks or what are, what are we, what's the tie there between your role on the agriculture committee and then, you know, handling these financial um Services. Services, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good question and and one that I think we get a lot. <laughs> so uh, the Agriculture Committee has, since inception, has jurisdiction over commodities markets and derivatives. And the CFTC, yeah. the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, was actually born out of the Agriculture Department, so USDA. So it actually started as an office within the Agriculture Department. Um, Commodity producers and farmers have actually been trading commodity futures for a long time. And so it actually, the the reason it's so prevalent in the ag industry is that a derivative contract is actually kind of a way for farmers and producers to hedge against pricing risks. So I'll keep it super simple and and quick or try to anyhow. Uh, So, you know, if a producer is growing a bushel of corn, uh, oftentimes, when they're going to sell that bushel of corn to whomever is buying it, typically they'll lock in the price three months before delivery. So it'll be we're locking in a price to sell you this bushel of corn three months from now. Well, if you're the producer there, the market price of the corn today could look very different three day three months from now. And the risk that that producer has is that three months from now, when it's time to deliver those commodities. The market price of corn has gone up, and so even though they could sell it for a higher price than they are than they agreed to today, they're locked into that price that they set three months ago. So what do they do? They take out a futures contract on corn, and the term bet 
gets used a lot, but <laughs> yeah. that's not a bet because it's a hedge. Right. But they'll take out a contract and say, okay, I think that three months from now, the price of corn will be higher than it is right now. So three months from now, if that's true, they get paid out through that futures contract, even though they lost, theoretically lost some money on the actual sale because they had to sell it at the locked-in price. So futures contracts are used to manage pricing risk by farmers all the time. We hear from them constantly, especially in Arkansas, the rice farmers, soybean farmers. Yeah. Um, it's It's been a risk management tool since I think the 1800s. Um, and so that's how that's why the ag department has jurisdiction over CFTC. Now, admittedly, since the 08 crisis, CFTC's jurisdiction has expanded beyond just commodities and commodity yeah. futures. Yeah. Right. It deals with interest rate swaps, options, um, a lot of other financial products. But the history is actually kind of interesting because it all goes back to farmers and producers who are growing commodities and how they can use futures contracts to actually manage some pricing. That's wow. actually crazy. Mind blown. Like, that's perfect. We've talked about bank failures and bank crashes here on the podcast mm-hmm. before, um, you know, with you dealing with, um, you know, more special assets and things like that through the FDIC. Uh, do you mind just kind of what's the talk? What's the lingo around D.C. on, uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, First Public Bank uh, and, and maybe where the banking industry is today? I mean, it's been fascinating for me. So, you know, I left the FDIC in 2021. but Silicon Valley Bank was the first, I guess, CIS of bank to fail. So bank that would have fallen into my old divisions group. And since then, Signature and First Public were both in that category as well. So it's been kind of interesting for me, like personally, just to sort of watch everything happen. And You left and the world imploded. The banking industry yeah, imploded. Yeah, they they I, need I, you. I, I, <laughs> man, I left and everything fell apart. So, <laughs> That's right. Uh, People, people should pay attention to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we're, that's what we're doing here. We're, yeah. we're, we're trying to get you paid. Yeah. That's right. All yeah, of our listeners. <laughs> always appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's just been fascinating. I think, you know, at first the reaction up here was kind of a, whoa, what's going on? And as you guys know this really well and articulated it really well in your episodes, I mean, it, it seemed like Silicon Valley Bank was sort of a on their own island, right, on the deposit side. It felt like they had a, I think it was like 90% deposits, deposits or something like that was concentrated in uninsured deposits. And, and a high percentage of that was concentrated in, for lack of a better term, flaky depositors, right? Like tech sure. companies, venture capital backed companies. And then on the asset side, I think it, I don't remember the stats off the top of my head, but I think it was something like over 50% of their assets were securities and they went pretty heavy in long-term hold HTM treasuries yeah. and didn't hedge, uh, seemed to not hedge yeah. for interest rate risk. So I think at first that was sort of the reaction was, okay, wow. I mean, these are both sides of the balance sheet, pretty unique, uh, you know, first Republic and signature, it, it kind of, those kind of smelled the same, but Silicon Valley bank was sort of on their own Island. Those two went and that was one thing. And then we saw the markets kind of react the way they did over the past weeks or a couple of weeks. It, it feels like I haven't checked in the last couple of days, but it feels like things have sort of stabilized. But I think at first it, it did definitely start it up here as a, huh, that's kind of interesting. They seem like a unique little ugly duckling. And then suddenly it gets faster and faster and you have more and more. Um, I think too, for us, it was interesting because 
and this is like way more than anybody wants to listen to, but you know, for me, per, when they use the systemic risk exception to cover SVB and signatures on insured depositors, that just opened up a whole bunch of interesting sort of policy questions. And yeah, they had that authority to use SRE, but do they have the authority to cover uninsured deposits? That's sort of a different, different question. So, so it's been policy wise, I think up here, we're still trying to I think now we finally wrapped our head around like, okay, here's what's happened. Here's how the markets are reacting. Now we're started moving into, well, how should Congress, if at all, respond to that? Well, yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting world. And the world you you live and operate in up, up there in D.C. moves uh, at breakneck speed, I know. <laughs> so, um, you know, the hot topic right now would be the debt ceiling. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously we are, we're there. Uh, <laughs> for lack of a better way to say it, um, what's the discussion about up there? I know, um, I know that Congress will con- convene and meet about it here soon. But mm-hmm. you know, just kind of give us a give us a rundown of of kind of what's being discussed in that area. Yeah, I mean, I think for starters, it <laughs> the in D.C. and and on the Hill, uh, we tend to react to the news right and yeah uh you start to hear stories and and things suddenly aren't a big deal until they are um i think the first thing for us was it it caught everybody i think across the entire political spectrum a little bit by surprise when june 1st was the x date Um, debt ceiling like as you guys know is a little bit unique typically up here with like government deadlines there is a hard and fast this is the deadline, right? When it comes yeah. to like funding the government, will it shut down? It's if it's not by midnight on this day, then pencils down. Debt limits a little bit weird because it's a little unclear as to when exactly they would exhaust all extraordinary measures. Um, some people earlier this year had thought it might not be till September. Some people had said early June, but the consensus was kind of August. And so Everybody up here was sort of thinking like, okay, we have, you know, until August-ish time. And then June 1st was sort of the date. And so now it's been a little bit of a frenzy. Um, I think the things that people are focusing on is, you know, and and I'll speak in in generalities here because obviously every member has their own views. But right now we have a divided government, right? We have a House of Representatives controlled by Republicans. We have a Senate controlled by Democrats, and we have a Democrat president. So whenever these things pop up in divided governments, it gets more difficult to get something done, but it also means that you have to have a deal. Um, And so generally speaking, Democrat view has been uh, we should do a clean debt ceiling lift and we should raise the debt ceiling. Um, Republicans view has been if we're going to lift the debt ceiling, we also have to pair that with some spending caps on how much the government can spend, um, some work requirements on certain programs, uh, permitting reforms, things like that. So what's happened is that for a while there, as as typically happens up here for better or worse, um, there was kind of a standoff. It was one side says X, the other side says Y, and no progress is made. Um, but that's how negotiation, I mean, I mean, you guys work in yeah. banking whenever you're working on a deal or anything like that. That's just how it happens. Um, now it sounds like with all the public news, um, you know, I think even this morning, the public reports are pretty positive. It sounds like they're working on a deal. Um, but it is a little bit of a wait and see for 
Congress and especially the Senate, just given, again, the fact that any bill that becomes law has to pass a Republican-controlled House and has to get signed by a Democrat president. So those are two, the Speaker of the House and the president are sort of leading and their teams are kind of leading the negotiations. Um, I think what we kind of think about, like in my world, and I'm sure you guys think about it too, is that like if we were to default and if we were to run out of exhaust all of our extraordinary measures and a deal doesn't happen and this debt ceiling doesn't get lifted, there's a lot of uncertainty as to how that impacts markets, right? <laughs> yes, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know like uncertainty creates panic. Sure. Panic creates irrational investors, irrational depositors. And so, you know, the equities markets would probably, I think it's not controversial for me to say they would probably take a bit of a fall. Um, obviously any bank or institution that holds treasury securities on their balance sheet, those, if those get downgraded one, that's then harder for them to sell in the secondary market. But also you might have a situation where treasury is not able to make interest and or principal payments. So not only can you not sell them, you're not getting paid. And then I think the really big unknown, particularly for my space is, I mean, the financial system, Treasury securities are sort of the underpinning of the financial system. And there's a ton of derivatives, contracts, and loans that are securitized or collateralized by treasury securities. And I mean, what happens if that collateral gets downgraded, right? Or if the payments on that collateral aren't being made? Um, Are there derivative contracts that have clauses that, uh, you know, a downgrade of the collateral means the contract is void or allows for early redemption. And like, what are the ripple effects on that? People just don't know. Um, sure. And so that's that there, that kind of plays into the uncertainty of it all. And I think most members up here in both chambers appreciate that um, and understand that. So I, I learned a long time ago, like it's a fool's errand to guess what Congress is going to do. Um, but I feel, I, I think it, it sounds like it's, Sounds like negotiations are moving pretty well from what's being publicly reported, and I think everybody appreciates the severity to the financial system. Yeah, well, uh, definitely a lot of things to go through there. Um, you know, as the as you mentioned, you know, and, uh, what would happen? What I think that's what everybody yeah. plays the scenario in their mind is what would happen if the U.S. government defaults, and it's hard to imagine, um, you know, and it's probably not one of those things that's necessarily fair to speculate, but of course we're all going to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, sure. But, uh, but, but it is, I mean, a ton of uncertainty. Like that's the thing is, is nobody really knows. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your, your comments on that. It's definitely interesting for us to hear. Um, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, crypto is what? definitely something that you are, uh, I follow it following and interested in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know that it's, uh, as of right now, kind of an unregulated market, um, mm-hmm. and your job is to regulate. And uh, <laughs> so I just didn't know what, uh, this is. this has been around for probably about a decade, maybe a little longer, but really picked up uh, steam, you know, with Bitcoin and uh, certain mm-hmm. exchanges um, within the past six or seven years. So as far as... Um, you know, regulation goes on some of these currencies. What 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 is the discussion um, that you've kind of been hearing, um, and what uh, what's the future for it if there is one? Yeah, it's a it's a good question and a big one. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's what we do, man. We just throw softballs out here, and then we just hammer one down the middle. <laughs> so I like it. I like it. The, the tell me about yourself one's easier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, no, so I mean, like I think of crypto, and I'd be curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. Like I think of it in sort of two pieces. Like one, you have the tech side of it and the yeah. blockchain technology side of it. And you've seen a lot of large banks have publicly started like exploring ways as to how they can integrate that technology into their own internal processes, right? Like into collateral settlement, into cross-border transactions. So that that's kind of the one hand is, is the tech side of it. Then I think about the other side of it, and, and this is where people disagree with me, but I think of it as an asset class. I know some people think of cryptocurrencies as you know a, a hedge against the dollar or a way to you know a, a reserve currency i think of it as an asset class and so if you think of it as an asset class you say okay well what are these assets are they securities are they commodities are they something else that then leads to the question that i think has gotten mainstream although maybe it's just here in dc the question is like who should regulate cryptocurrency right and the question that we've been dealing with is, and that we hear a lot is, should it be the SEC? Should it be the CFTC? I think that's the right question, but in the wrong context. Like, I think you have to look at each individual, whether you call them tokens, digital assets, whatever it is, and say, is this a security? If so, it should go through securities laws and should be regulated by the SEC. Is this a commodity? If so, it should go through commodities laws, regulated by the CFTC. CFTC part of it. And so we don't, as you said, like it is unregulated and you can't have any market that you can't have a well-functioning market that's strong, resilient and effective that isn't regulated. Right. There's just no way you have to have some rules to the road. Right. Banks know that very well. Yes, we do. So I think what we, when we talk about the CFTC, what gets kind of interesting is that there so far federal law does not define Okay, in the crypto space, what is a security? What is a commodity? Federal courts have opined on specific tokens and the agencies, the head of the SEC, Chairman Gensler, the head of the CFTC, Rostin Benham, have opined on some of these tokens. But there is no federal law right now that provides that kind of clarity. And so on the market side of it, like we see a lot of banks, particularly broker dealers who want to act as brokers on behalf of their clients but they don't they say if i'm buying and selling this token on behalf of my client i need to know like what am i buying am i buying right. a security am i buying a commodity and, and what do i have to comply with uh, some banks have talked about uh, wanting to take custody of these assets for clients and it's the same question is okay i have clients that own cryptocurrencies i'm fine with being a custodian but what am i custodying am i custodying yeah. securities and that applies so that that's where there really is kind of a lack of clarity. The CFTC side of it is interesting because CFTC, and this is more than you guys asked, I guess, it CFTC regulates and has enforcement authority in the derivatives markets. So like we talked about futures, swaps, options, they can take enforcement actions. So if market participants are manipulating those markets or committing fraud, CFTC can find them, can actually ban them from participating in the markets, but they also regulate them. So they set rules in place and 
There's certain conflict of interest safeguards and systems uh, regulated entities have to set up. There's all types of rules they have to follow. On the cash commodity markets, so one person, back to my original example, one person wants to sell a bushel of corn in exchange for U.S. dollars. A counterparty wants to buy a bushel of corn in exchange for U.S. dollars. We're not talking about a futures contract. We're not talking about swapping. We're talking about here now, today, buying and selling that commodity and exchanging it. Those are called the cash commodity markets. The CFTC has enforcement authority in those markets. So if someone's manipulating those markets or defrauding those markets, CFTC can take an enforcement action. They don't have regulatory authority around those markets, so they can't put rules in place. Now, this again goes back to my point, like other agencies have regulatory authority in those markets, like USDA has regulatory authority for agriculture commodity markets. Department of Energy has regulatory authority for oil and natural gas markets. But CFTC is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, not the Commodities and Futures Trading mm-hmm. Commission. So yeah. that, that distinction is important because right now there are a lot of futures contracts on Bitcoin. So someone can, and I'm not nearly smart enough to be a <laughs> trader or even work at a bank, but somehow, some way, people are smart enough to say, I, I think I know what the price of Bitcoin will be a month from now. I'll enter into a futures contract on it. Those contracts are regulated by CFTC, but they don't know, by the way. They don't know. Somebody who says well, that, they don't know. Delete their phone some number. People make, there's some ma- people make money off of it somehow. Crossing your fingers. There's at least a math equation tied behind it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, but what, what CFTC can't regulate right now is – and I'm, I'm going to use Bitcoin as an example because that's one where federal courts have said it's a commodity. SEC and CFTC have all said it's a commodity. So it's, it's hard to find somebody who doesn't think Bitcoin is a commodity. Um, yeah. So I'll just, I'll just stick with Bitcoin here. Yeah. Uh, so CFTC can regulate Bitcoin futures because that's a derivative on a commo- futures on a, the underlying assets a commodity. Yeah. They can't regulate if you log on to your app and – just want to buy Bitcoin. That's that's the cash market for it. So what we've been challenged with in Congress and specifically on the Ag Committee, House and Senate, is, okay, if some of these are commodities, do they pose different risks than our traditional commodities to investors? I think the answer is yes. Like I think if you're going to compare Bitcoin yeah. is a very different commodity than rice, right? Like it's much more <laughs> slightly retail yeah. oriented. It's much more integrated into technology. I don't know. I know how to pull out my phone and buy Bitcoin. I don't know how to pull out my phone and buy rice. I'm, I'm sure there's a way. <laughs> <laughs> the question is, you know, if if Congress is going to give CFTC new authority for this yeah. cash retail market, um, we got to be very careful because it poses different risks than your traditional commodities. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's since it is kind of a new thing, we're struggling to define what it is, is kind of what I'm hearing you say. Um, you know, It's tough, yeah. You're playing almost two sides of the same coin here too um, and trying to figure out exactly how to define it. So, um, Yeah, and it's, it's tough because, you know, the agencies, I mean, some folks at... The SEC have publicly said uh, that they think almost all of these are securities. Some folks at CFTC have said they think a lot of these are commodities. So just this is and this is just in market structure. Like I'm not even touching stable coins and all oh, that exactly. other stuff. Yeah. 
Um, so, so it is, it's a tough environment. And then to your point, like the market has been pretty wild over the last 10 months or so. Uh, we had some pretty, pretty prominent exchanges collapse in pretty spectacular fashion. Um, you've had a lot of volatility. Um, it's gotten political, it's gotten media, it's, it's gotten all kinds of crazy stuff. So it, that just always makes the job up here a little bit harder in Congress. Yeah. You said you were talking about the SEC and and CFTC kind of trying to define it. If I were if I were you, I'd just say, "Hey, it's a security. We don't want it. You guys, yeah. you guys regulate it. I don't want the headache. So just call it a security <laughs> well, and be done with it." That's kind of what I was going to ask. Is it more of a who wants it or who doesn't want it? Um, you know, is that kind of little the little bit of both? Played? Yeah, <laughs> depends on how the market's going. I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Hey, I've got another question. This is a uh, kind of on the topic of the technology of cryptocurrency, but one of the conversations Max and I have been talking about and wanting to maybe do an episode on is uh, CBDC. Um, mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that and how the crypto and blockchain technology are, what what roles those are playing in that? So I'm familiar with it, not nearly as familiar as I am on the market side, just because that would go through the Fed, which yeah. isn't in ag's jurisdiction. Um, we got CFTC. We, we don't have the prudential right <laughs> No, <now>. just wondering. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, that's that, like stable coins is one of the things that people are discussing. CBDC and kind of the Fed now. And are those two the same things? Are they different? It's definitely a topic up here. Um, I think it's people... People are thinking about it. I think the CBDC one gets pretty political pretty quick. Really? Right? It, it kind of touches on like privacy and, right. you know, should we nationalize banking? Um, so it, that one is is honestly as, as difficult. I think the market side of it is is technically difficult. That one is, is almost more just nasty <laughs> because uh, it, it really does kind of get people riled up. Yeah. Well, we're not trying to do that. No, we're not. not Remain calm, to... everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, no one wants people around us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got one question on my mind. Who mm-hmm. did? Maybe two. <laughs> and here's it's, a, it's a one question, two parter. <laughs> I'm, I'm hypothetically playing the listener, but this is actually me. So I don't know if this is going to reduce our credibility or what. But who does the United States owe money to, and who's going to repay it? If I'm a U.S. citizen, that's kind of what's on my mind. And so, or if I haven't taken a, a very basic econ class in college, <laughs> I don't know where you guys learned this, but I was a biology major. I didn't, I didn't have any time to learn this. So uh, in very, uh, let's laymanize it, which I did look up. That's a real verb, meaning to make it into layman terms. But <laughs> Thank uh, you for, yeah, thank, I looked that thank up. you, Webster. I so appreciate that. Who, who does the U.S. owe money uh, going back to the, de- the debt ceiling? And uh, who's going to repay it? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's probably one that a lot of people do have on their mind. The first part of it, the easiest answer is the U.S. government owes money to everyone. U.S. government, <laughs> US government bondholders. To the U.S. Right? government, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's anyone that holds a U.S. government bond. Um, so that could, be, that could be banks. That could be just general public. Uh, that could be foreign countries that could be internal agencies. It, it really is. The, the answer is everyone because it's anyone that owns uh, a government bond. The paying back part is tough. I mean, the debt ceiling, this is, this is all public information here. The debt ceiling is $31.4 trillion. That's a lot of debt to pay off. Yeah. 
with a T. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so can we ever pay it off? I don't know. Uh, and that's kind of that's sort of a policy discussion up here, right? Is that some folks think we should have a balanced budget and we should really, really cut back government spending uh, in order to try and pay off some of that debt. But other folks say, look, $31.4 trillion, um, it's just you there's no way we're going to pay that off. Yeah. So, so the second part, I don't know the answer to. Uh, <laughs> if I did, I'd be making a lot more money than, than working on the hill. <laughs> that's that's uh, fair. Comforting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, did, what's after trillion? Like what's quadrillion. the quadrillion? Is it quadrillion? Is that what it is? I feel like that's right. I don't know. I'm not you, you guys sure. are the bankers. You tell me. Yeah, fortunately, <laughs> we don't we don't have any loans to um, even in the in the billion dollar numbers, but uh, but billion trillion. I think it. I think it is quadrillion. Okay, are you ready for this? Oh no. Uh, this is just to give our listeners an idea of how big a trillion is. So in seconds, okay, a million seconds is 12 days. Okay. Pretty cool. 12 days, okay. right? A billion seconds is 31 years. That's a dramatic <laughs> increase, right? <laughs> wow. You ready for a trillion seconds? A trillion seconds. 31,688 years. Wow. Then oh multiply gosh. that times, what did you say, $31 trillion? Times 31. 31. yeah. That's just to put it into a perspective for you. A time perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Well, imagine dollars. So if we paid off a dollar know. every second, it would take us somewhere around yeah, 90,000 years. Is that what you basically said? Yeah. So you know, that's encouraging. Um, all right. So we're going we're gonna to really strip it all off here, and I'm going to ask some really important questions. Um, <laughs> why is it called The Hill? <laughs> It is in a low area of the of uh, of uh, basically Virginia, right? Is it because it's on a? I mean, I don't know. I'll let you answer that. Yeah. So, so it's a it's a hard hitting question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Take some time, think about it. That's right. So it actually is physically located on a hill. Okay. Uh, it is if you like walk around the complex, you can see like it's actually kind of a cool view, but you can see. So it's in D.C., right? Yes. Not Virginia. <laughs> right, of Columbia. yes, yes. It's but, in its own district but, of Columbia. But surrounded by but it. You can, you can see, like, the buildings in Virginia across the river, and you can literally see the slope go down. So it is called the hill because it is on a hill. So from, Is that just the curvature of the earth, or is it a hill? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a deeper question. That's, than I'm kidding. Uh, so okay. I've never been, so. D.C. actually is a really, really neat place. I just remember how unbelievably hot it is in the summers and humid. Yeah. You're, I mean, it's a boggy area, really, right? Um, you know, it's kind of, it was at least marshy at one point. I don't think it is anymore. But for many, for many reasons, not all of which I agree, people call it the swamp. And some <laughs> of that is, is because, yeah, it gets pretty humid yeah pretty soon actually we're in like yeah. mid-may yeah you're getting close to that on yeah on your yeah. commute to work do you pass like joe biden like every other week and it's like hey joe so i don't i take the metro uh i don't think the president <laughs> the metro, which would be pretty wild if he did that um, would be wild i didn't know if you're you just see, seeing all these popular well, <laughs> congressmen and women like the, they all have like um 
I can't think of the word. It's not caravan, but they all have like a detail that drives with them. And so sometimes you see that, like you'll see the the black SUVs with the lights, like it looks like in movies. So you I don't you don't ever know who's in the car unless you like really you can study it and like there's a way to look and tell the exact SUV that the Treasury Secretary has the exact gotcha. wow. SUV the president has, but you just get to see them kind the of by. The difference of the the window tint one's a little bit yeah. more tinted yeah. than the other. What what yeah. does what does your detail look like? How many how many cars are driving you around? <laughs> My detail looks like the orange or silver line on the metro. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. One day we'll we'll yeah. we'll be uh, we'll, we will, we're on your team. That's right. We will say we knew him when. Uh, that's right. We talked to him when. Um, all right. And then you have have you participated in the softball games? Um, I have not participated in the softball games. I have okay. stood on the sideline and drank their alcohol. <laughs> hey, I, I've never been on the field. That works. What are we talking about? That's like a, it's a really popular thing. I mean, the softball Yeah, games. yeah. There's, there's a, I guess ours is a, not a Senate league. It's, it's the whole uh, delegation. So yeah. anyone who works for either my boss, Senator Cotton, or one of the four Arkansas congressmen joins the team. But every Thursday, you go out on the field and play uh, wow. softball. I just, and, Really felt like you you were a ringer, Nathan. I really felt like you were batting cleanup, you know, maybe playing a hot corner, playing third base over there. Um, Yeah, they. I mean, they need to do some lineup tinkering anyway. Um, (laughs) They they have Andrew batting a little too high, I think. Well, but I'm not the coach. I mean, if he's batting at all, it might be a little high. So (laughs) yeah. Dude, yeah, I would, it, was, it was a tough year last year. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You may have to do some recruiting yeah. for the yeah. softball team. Dude, I would strike out like Mitch McConnell. How cool would that be to say, like, I striked out Mitch McConnell? I mean, just whizzing <laughs> some high heat, just boom. I don't think Is Senator, he I don't think Senator McConnell's playing. I, I would assume more it's, it's more staff based. Right. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Although every year they do the congressional baseball game. Yeah. Uh, which is at the national stadium. And members actually play one another, which is pretty cool to go to. That is neat. But yeah, they don't play in the beer league. Softball oh, okay. Leagues. Okay. Uh, okay. Not the beer league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's more of a high brass type deal there. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, last question here. Um, you know, obviously, you have had a, a, a really a neat career path here, you know, leading you uh, to work in there for Senator Bozeman. Um, you spent some time in D.C. It's a, it's a really is a neat place. Um can you just kind of give us um, maybe your favorite part of D.C.? What what really drives you to that area um, and, and you enjoy being there? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a hard question because I do love D.C. I think for me, the coolest part is they, they always say, like, when you work on the Hill, too, the second you the moment you look at the Capitol and like the Capitol building from the outside, you don't get chills is when it's time to get off the hill. I still get those. Um, awesome. So, I mean, that's pretty cool to, to be able to, you know, and, and my boss, I mean, now I will put a plug in. He, he's one of the best. Um, yeah. He's, he's a great legislator, but also just a good guy and good to work for. But like getting to talk to a Senator day in, day out, getting to just walk around the U S Capitol is, is something that they, this is a place that people go on vacation. for, Right. And I get to live here and work here. Um, so it's pretty cool, I think, yeah. when I take a step back. Sometimes it's tough, you know. You like every job, you get in the mix of it. You don't only take a step back to think about it, but whenever I do, it's that's probably my favorite part. Great, awesome. 
Well, Nathan, we really, really appreciate you hopping on with us. Um, it's been a lot of fun to talk to you. And, uh, you know, we are, we're really, uh, really just appreciative and, and uh, excited to put all this together and listen back. Yeah. So. If I learned yeah. anything, it's that we have people in D.C. who are working really hard and are really smart. <laughs> I mean, that's what I just learned was Nathan's the man and he knows what he's oh. doing. So thank you for jumping on and uh, talking to us and uh, enlightening us about what's kind of going on up, up on the hill. Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys having me. you got a listener for life, so uh, <laughs> hey, keep doing there it. There we go. We've got we'll one. We've go. got one. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right, Nathan. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like this episode, please leave a five-star rating and drop a review. Follow us on our socials, which can be found in the show notes below. We will catch you next time.